During uh, these next, well, I I don't think I'll say few, (laughs) because it might go on for quite a while. During these next months, maybe up to and beyond even just ten, I want to look at Acts. I want to not go through it verse by verse. I want to just look at, uh, probably systematically, but look at parts of it. And when David Lockyer or David Thompson are preaching, they may well dip into Acts as well. We're not going to, as I say, be too uh, verse by verse, but we're certainly going to follow it chronologically as best we can. We won't suddenly hop to chapter 20 when we're looking at chapter 2. But I want to start right at the beginning, and I want to perhaps explain a little bit what's on my heart, what's on my mind in doing that. We've got a a year of of outreach, or more than a year, I trust, but it will be a year of getting ourselves uh, engaged in outreach, focusing outwards. We need to do it. We need to work out how to do it more with our building. We know that. We want to, we're battling to, to think that through. We, we are doing things. We'll talk about some things, church family meeting, as we can. But, but we've also got two fairly significant uh, events, I think, is one way of describing it. One comes quite soon. It's called Front Edge. That's November the 8th and 9th. That will be a superb weekend. We've got gifted evangelists from across the New Frontiers churches here for the Saturday training day, which is open to everyone and is for the whole Wessex and Southwest region of New Frontiers Churches. It's five pounds. It'll be an excellent day with Lex training, with uh, um, Adrian Holloway, Lex Lossages, or whatever his name is, Adrian Holloway, and uh, I can't ever get to say it, but I can't say mostly. And um, what's the other chap? Oh, Guy Miller. And, And they'll be very, very good. And it will be a good day. Please prioritise it in your diary. That's for Christians, that's a Saturday. It's to envision and to equip us for evangelism and for outward looking. It's not all about heavy stuff. It's going to be in here. People will be coming from as far afield as probably beyond Taunton and Bristol to be here and it's on your doorstep. Book it in. Front edge here. Five pounds for the day. Excellent day. Then on the Sunday, the 9th of November... We'll have Lex here preaching the gospel. So we want some unsaved people in the, in the building. He'll be doing it with prayer for the sick, for healing. No doubt, if we can, we'll have Ray here. Lex has seen a lot of uh, 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 healings. He's quite gifted in that area. So come expectant on the 9th of November. Then further ahead, next year, April 22nd to June the 24th, just 10. We've already seen advertised. Just 10 with J. John. Great privilege to have this in our city. It really is. So there's plenty going on. On top of that, when we were at the Brighton conference, there was a challenge from Mark Driscoll to be more missional. And most of us who were there, leaders conference, found that challenge very, very uh, strong. You know, it really hit us. We've got to be more missional and outward looking. So Acts is a wonderful book to have behind that. We won't be saying the same thing every week, but we will be looking at examples, looking at how church was, was in those first years. In fact, the book of Acts covers just 30 years of church history, the first 30 years, from, uh, from the very beginning at the day of Pentecost to 30 years on from that, almost exactly. And you think, why has God done that? What's that about? Well, first of all, that is uh, the first scene of a great play that you are part of. We are still in it. The church age is still going on. One of the things we'll look at is how this opening verse is Jesus will come back at the end. But he's not come back yet. 
we're still in the play that starts here. This is the opening scene. This isn't the whole deal. That's it. It's just the opening scene. Then scene after scene. Now we're on the stage. In our day, in our generation, it's our turn. We're playing our part. And we want to be caught up in that as we look at this. Also, I genuinely believe that God had in mind something like this. In giving us this model of Acts, giving us this first sort of surge of the church, he sort of put down a template or a model for how church is. Not precise. This isn't the book of Leviticus. In the Old Covenant, there was Leviticus with all the detail. Very different than the New Covenant. Because it's a different covenant for the whole world, for every culture and tribe and nation. But there's something there that sets the tone for the whole thing. And I even feel there's a sort of challenge in it that in what is broadly a generation, so much can happen. In 30 years, you can go from 120 firebrands, well, they were firebrands after the Holy Spirit came on them, 120 in the upper room, you can go to a movement that affected the whole of the East Mediterranean and indeed further beyond, was touching the whole Roman Empire. And that's quite stirring what can happen in 30 years with just a few people filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think we're meant to see that as what can keep happening all across the world through the church age. In any 30 years, a couple of hundred people get filled with the Spirit, plant churches, preach the gospel, cope with persecution, cope with adjustments to growth. It's all in here. And somehow, for all their mistakes, and they do make mistakes, manage to impact their world in those 30 years. Like us impacting England and Europe, Western Europe, or something like that. And that's the sort of thing to stir us and encourage us and excite us. And I want us to do that as we go through it. So let's read the first 11 verses. Acts 1 and verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to those men, these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, I've called this the big stones first. You might wonder what that's all about. You've probably, some of you or most of you, have probably heard the illustration, which is actually to do with time management, that if you 
are trying to fill a bucket uh, and you want to put some large stones, sand and gravel in, you don't put the sand and gravel in first because if you fill it up with sand and gravel, you won't get any stones in. You put the big stones in first, then you put some gravel in and then you put some sand in. And thereby you can fill your bucket with the mixture that you wanted to fill it with. It's usually used as time management. It's a challenge, it's a challenge to me, uh, that you put the big and most important things in first. That's the point. It's about priorities. It's about putting the big things in first. And so I want to actually talk about that here this morning, out from these 11 verses. When I first prepared this, only just a week or so ago, I had four points increasingly I feel that I'm only going to probably give you one point this morning, Uh, maybe two, but I increasingly feel it might just be one. So, in fact, we'll look at some of our other big stones another time, but I will put them up, or they can be put up on the screen, because this is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about four things, centre, combustion, commission, and climax. They're all from these 11 verses. And I actually believe that each one of these is vitally important for Christians and for church. They are big things that we must have in place. Centre, combustion, commission, climax. Now, just to give a little bit of an edge to what I'm saying, I think we all need these points clearly established in our lives and I don't think we have any cause for complacency. You may say, I can guess what you're going to talk about. I can tell you now. Jesus Christ, yes. Holy Spirit, yes. The Great Commission, yes. Jesus' return or what we're aiming towards, yeah. That's basically what the four things have in mind. But listen, don't tick boxes in your brain and say, I know what it's about. I don't think Winchester Family Church has any cause for complacency in any four area, of these four areas. I love you. I'm grateful for your generosity. I'm grateful for being here but I don't feel complacent myself and I don't want you to feel complacent because I think we need to hear God on all of them. Okay? I hope I got your attention. Let's talk about the first one, centre. What is Christianity? What is the church? What is her business? What's her message? Well, it's Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And we're going to see that in a moment. But you know, it's because it's about a person that makes our faith, our religion, unique. And I think sometimes we need to talk fairly honestly about the Christian church in a way that counteracts the way our culture perpetually marginalises and makes ridiculous church. I have felt for decades that living in this country as a keen, committed Christian, there is a subtle persecution that goes on all the time which is mostly intellectual or or cultural, that the church is irrelevant and needs to be marginalised. I mean, where did the church feature in the Millennium Dome? All right, so what's that about, random thing? Well, you know, we're supposed to do a dome and the Millennium, and it was all full of gibberish, wasn't it? It was a total flop. The church is the most important factor in the last 2,000 years of history. Certainly in this part of the world, in, in England and Western Europe, Like it or loathe it, the church is a huge player in history. Massive. And to to ignore church, and I bet you when we have our Jolly Olympics, the church won't feature at all, modern Britain. It'll all be Beatles and wearing miniskirts or whatever it will be and blowing plastic bubbles. But 
but actually, I, I'm not suggesting the church has got to be a feature of the Olympic Games. I am going off on one a bit. But when we do actually talk about our nation or our culture, church is huge. If you've got any sense of history, any, actually any sense of what's going on in the world today. In these first 30 years, it was said by Acts 17, we'll get to it, they've turned the world upside down. Even in the first 30 years, the church was shaking aspects of the culture. And it needs to continue to do so, and it's meant to continue to do so. The church of Jesus Christ is a big player in world history. Actually, let me give you a few facts. There is no question that Christianity is the dominant religion in the world today. There are two billion people who would call themselves Christian in our world today. Now, I know they're not all born again, spirit-filled, but there are two billion people who would designate themselves as Christian. That's a third of the world population. People are getting all uptight about the growth of Islam. If current trends continue, by the year 2050, there will still be three Christians to every two Muslims in the world. People who call themselves Christian to every two Muslims. It is a huge player. And it's more uh, challenging than that. There is a, a one exciting, I would say, there's a wonderful thing that's been going on in the church for just over a hundred years. Now, it's hard to define, but you could call it Pentecostal movement. You could call it charismatic. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit, re-establishment of the gifts of the Spirit. Do you know, that was a huge people movement in the 20th century. You wouldn't know it if you read many a normal secular historian or, 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 or you know, one of the commentators on the 20th century. Nobody looks back at the 20th century and says anything about Pentecostalism. It's huge. Where's Nazism today? Where's communism today? You know, where's fascism today? They're jokes. They're gone. Has-beens. Lame ducks. They did terrible things in the 20th century. But right at the beginning of the 20th century, there was a move of God amongst his people that grew and grew and grew. And towards the end of the 20th century, huge tracts of South America, Korea, there were... Korea today has some, as I think it's a quarter of the country, is, is Christian, mostly of a Pentecostal style. The growth of what we might call Pentecostal charismatic Christianity, using a broad terminology, was massive in the 20th century, and it's still massive and still growing. On present trends, if they continue, in the year 2050, there'll be twice as many Pentecostal Christians in the world as there are Buddhists in the whole world twice as many Pentecostal Christians, if things continue as they are now, as there are Buddhists in the whole world. This country is arrogant and cynical about the church and Christianity. Christianity is a huge moving thing. In the year 1000, a thousand years after Acts 1, it is again estimated, using broad terminology of people who call themselves Christian, that one in 100 on the planet would have called themselves Christian. Roughly, again, by the year 2000, at least one in ten on the planet would have called themselves Christian. The church has continued to grow for 2,000 years. It is growing today, and the most virulent and effective growth is those who believe the Bible, who believe there's a Holy Spirit, and who are actively committed to the broad gospel that we would be. All right, there's huge amounts of variation, I know that. But if we're using broad brushstrokes, it is... Bible-believing, 
Pentecostal, charismatic, evangelical type Christianity that is growing across the world. Of course, particularly phenomenally in many a third world country. But actually, more in our own country than is often uh, given credit for. Now, what is the explanation of this? Well, the four things I'm looking at are the explanation themselves or part of it. But the most important one is the first one. These people, ourselves included, are committed to following Jesus Christ. The full explanation may need more to be said, but the, com- the core of it is this. Jesus Christ is the explanation. The person of Jesus Christ. Christianity is all about Jesus. Christianity is not a philosophy. It is not a teaching. It is a person who you know and are committed to and are in faith towards and live with and he lives with you. It's a relationship with a person, Jesus Christ. A real historical person who died and who is alive today. And has sent his Holy Spirit to continue his work in the world. There's a phrase in the opening verse here, the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. And every commentator I read on Acts, and I read quite a few actually, said that this terminology implies that it's ongoing. The things Jesus began to do and teach, now we're telling you the rest of the things he did and taught. Yet within a few verses, Jesus has gone back to the Father. So in actual fact, the church is seen as Jesus still doing and teaching things. Because it is. It's his spirit in his people, and they're his body, his arms, his legs, they're still doing the same stuff, same quality of doing and teaching. That's what's meant to go on. That's what the church is. And it's all about Jesus Christ. He's the biggest stone, the cornerstone, the foundation stone. And he's the central theme of all the preaching that you will find in Acts. People went out and told people about Jesus all the time. In fact, if you glance at verse, um, is it four, when it says, you will be witnesses to me. Sorry, it's further down. Verse eight. You will be my witnesses. Yeah, it says you will be my witnesses, and it says that a lot in the NIV. If you look at some of the more literal translations, or even the uh, authorised, and I think it's the NASB, I can't remember, it says it more, you will be witnesses to me. But the point's there. The point is this. We are witnesses to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you're going to go out and you're going to talk about me. It is about me. It is all about him. It's not just his teaching. It's not his lifestyle or, you know, what a wonderful example he was. That is not what Christianity is. It's all about Jesus Christ himself. And we witness to him. And really, the whole thing is totally amazing. I've just told you about the growth and virulent virulent growth of the church, active growth of the church, And, and, and even here in these first 30 years. But stop for a minute and think, who is this me we're witnessing to? Who is this me we're witnessing to? From a human perspective, we're talking about a Jewish carpenter. We're talking about a man who was born in poverty. We're talking about a man who didn't teach a thing till he was 30 and was dead on a Roman cross at 33. We're talking about a man who never wrote a book We're talking about a man who didn't travel hardly in any recognisable way outside a small Middle East country 2,000 years ago. And how on earth is it what it is? (laughs) 
What's the answer? I mean, the church itself is one of the biggest testimonies to the reality of who Jesus was. That he was the Son of God, that he was the Saviour of the world, that he rose physically from the dead, and that he went back to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit. All the stuff that's here, the actual result, the product, if you like, for all its failures, is one of the biggest testimonies that something special went on. How on earth else would you be a witness to this little Jewish carpenter who taught some stuff in a small area of the size of Wales for a few years and then got, you know, nailed to a cross by the Romans? How could that, how could it do what it did if there isn't more to it? If it isn't the fact that Jesus is who he said he is? And, and actually, even, you know, the concept, go to the whole world and tell them about me. He's obviously dealing with himself or expressing that he is more than just that Jewish carpenter. And of course he is. He's the son of God. He's the one who died for our sins. And he is the person you need to know if you're going to be a Christian. You've got to put a personal faith in Jesus Christ. No two ways about it. He has got to be Lord of your life. You're not signing up for a for a a, a system of rules. You're not signing up for a philosophy. You're not signing up for a system of teaching you try and understand. You're meeting a person, aren't you? Do you agree? It's all about Jesus. And it's about meeting him and knowing him. He's central. The Christian faith does not call you to do something. It tells you what Jesus has done for you. That's what, it's not primarily a call to you to start doing something, to start lining your life up with this particular set of rules. It's telling you that Jesus came to do something for you, to die for your sins, to remove your guilt, your failure, your sin. That's a biblical word, but there's no other word for it sometimes. And actually to change you on the inside, to give you a new start and a new heart. And to make you a different person. To begin to change you to be like a Jesus person. A John Groves in my case, but with something of Jesus about him. Now that is what the gospel's about. It's about Jesus. Not just a, a, a bright set of ideas. And of course the core facts, and they are facts about Jesus, are his death and his resurrection. They're touched on even in verse uh, 3 here, isn't it? After his suffering, he showed himself to those, these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So again and again, through Acts, and still today, God's people centre on these two facts. Jesus Christ died on a cross. Jesus Christ rose again, was made alive, and was proven to be alive by many convincing proofs. And that's the essence of it. In fact, in the book of Acts, the church more often emphasises the resurrection than the cross. I think it's not wrong to emphasise the cross, but I think the reason for that is that the cross was a once and for all, it's over, it was ghastly, we need to remember it, but also Jesus is now alive. He's not dead today, he's alive. And, And if you have a cross, it's nice to have one sometimes, remind yourself about Jesus and what he did, but you do need to remember he's not on a cross today. He's not in a tomb today. He's alive today. So if you do have a cross, make sure it's an empty one. <laughs> Don't like those ones, crucifixes with a little model on it. It's no, no he's, he's alive. Jesus today is at the right hand of the Father. There's a man in heaven. So the resurrection and the crucifixion as a sort of 
double thing are, are what they constantly remember. Jesus didn't die as a martyr. He died as God with us, Emmanuel. He was the Lamb of God. The Bible tells us he died as our substitute. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. With his stripes, we are healed. He bore our judgment. He bore our sorrows, our griefs. Isn't that amazing? And it's still true 2,000 years later. If you've got things that you think, oh God, help me, forgive me, cleanse me, change me, give me hope. Well, it all comes from this, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And of course, the resurrection is equally important. Having suffered, he rose again. The job was done and completed. He'd borne the wrath of God. If I can put it this way, he'd sort of absorbed it and dealt with it and removed it forever. And your sins are removed as, as removed as far as the east is from the west when you put faith in Jesus. It is wonderful. It is good stuff. It's gone completely. It's wiped out by the death and resurrection of Jesus. All the things that you had that you had done that even you knew were wrong, let alone the things that God says are wrong, they're removed. They're sponged away. They're, they're removed completely, blotted out by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the first big stone is it is all about Jesus. That means he is the centre of everything. That means the ongoing life of the individual Christian and church is all about Jesus. That means when we go and talk to a Ray Stan, I'll pray with him, it's Jesus-centred, okay? You know, we're not just Brent-centering on the disease, we're centred on Jesus and bring Jesus into the room. That's how we were talking yesterday. And it means that when we worship and when we pray, we, we, we're gathering to Jesus. Jesus said, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Any opportunity to gather with God's people is an opportunity to have a, a meeting with Jesus. It is, isn't it? You do agree with me, don't you? Because we've got to live like that. When we have our small group meetings, when we have our prayer meetings, when we come on Sunday morning, it is all about him. It's about meeting with Jesus. You have to come expecting to meet with him. You come to talk to him. Even if everybody around you think, well, I'm not sure how well they're worshipping. Well, that's not your jolly business. You get on and tell Jesus you love him and worship him. Well, no, I'm not sure if that was quite in tune. Ooh, you know, funny, Ooh, they've got a, you know, a new doobie on the stage. Well, blow the doobies. Look, we're meeting to worship Jesus. Now, actually, I have got a challenge here. I want to challenge you. I don't challenge myself, but I want to challenge you. Do we really believe like this? Do we know that it's centred on Jesus? Do we absolutely really believe it? Or do we sort of think it's like a really nice club we belong to? It's sort of really friendly. It's great if you get ill because lots of people will be look after you. That's very important. Very important. It's happening right now, and so I'm using it deliberately. But do we think that's all that it's about? Or do we realise it's all about Jesus and what he is and who he is and what he wants us to do? He wants us to share our, our faith. That's why we do stuff. Because Jesus, we look at that, it's a big stone. It's a big, big stone, the Great Commission. But the first big stone is it's all about him. It's about what Jesus does amongst us. Now, I have... I've got a challenge for you. I'm only going to speak on this first point. But I haven't finished yet, so listen to me. At a church family meeting, 
uh, about, oh, I know what it was, 20th of July, Jeff Fain brought a powerful word to us about God bringing us on a new heading. He wanted to make a few clicks of the compass. Do you anybody remember? You can nod if you remember. A few clicks of the compass. Well, a few of us nod, or unless you're going to sleep, you might be wondering. But a, a, few, a few clicks of the compass that God wanted to readjust our, uh, readjust our course. Now, I think these big stones are those clicks. For me, they are some of, the, that, some of it anyway, that God wanted to readjust our course. But later, Jeff sent an email, which I, I don't, didn't record it when he did it, and I didn't write it down, so it was helpful to have the email. And I'm just going to quote, because I, I've been praying about this this week, and I really felt God just heightened something and spoke to me out of it. So, listen. This is what he said. This is Jeff's email. We believe this may be God bringing us back on our original course he has called us to rather than a new course. Winchester Family Church has a course to follow that has been set by God years ago. And somehow we have drifted or been blown off course slightly. God is just bringing us back onto the original course. Now, I think that's a fair explanation. That helps me just to crystallise. But I did find a phrase in there, very interesting. A course set years ago. And when I was praying about this, and it didn't take me long really, just as I began to pray, to be honest with you, something came back to my mind that I knew about, but I've never, I wasn't here and didn't experience it. I know that many years ago, the previous pastor, Greg Haslam, preached a powerful prophetic sermon on Revelation 3, verses 14 to 22. Some people might have been here. I think a minority in this room would have been here. And I know that it was quite a challenging, and in some ways disturbing, but it sort of aligned the whole course of the church up in a different way to the course prior to that sermon. And I just wanted to put up, uh, or to read, I think you could be able to put it up by the look of it, Revelation 3, 14 to 22, because that's where I went back when I was praying about this course adjustment. So if you've got it up, that's great. Thank you. Revelation 3. I'm just going to read it to you. To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. I think I'll stop there. This is obviously something Jesus says to the church. Now I think when Greg preached on it, it would have been a major interruption to a course taken and it was a complete and major course adjustment in this church. But I think what Jeff's word was, was about clicks of a compass to line back up with where we should be. And I felt this passage was something God took me back to when I was thinking and praying about it. And I actually felt God spoke to me out of it, words to this effect. 
This passage led to a major course adjustment for this church. It set a long time course for you. However, the currents and tides of Winchester always cause a drift. They cause a drift towards complacency, self-sufficiency and lukewarmness. So you need to set your course again, to refine your course towards the fire of my spirit, holiness, spiritual vision and above all, intimacy with me. Now that's what I felt God spoke to me when I was preparing this week. And I felt God said to me, you need to tell the people and share with them that that it's a good ship, it's going okay, but it has drifted from the course. I don't want to be unpleasant. You know I'm too nice for my own good. But I was deeply disappointed with the attendance at the prayer week. Deeply disappointed. For the half night of prayer, I counted 30 people, actually. At the early morning prayer meeting, there were less than 20 There was a reasonable number on the Sunday night, but that was probably about 60. And at the men's, maybe 50, 60. I think the women were the best. They won at about 80. But actually, that's not brilliant. And I know, because I was at most of the prayer meetings, that quite often it was the same people anyway. Not totally, but there's some people at most of the prayer meetings. I don't think that reflects a church that's got its focus on Jesus Christ. I think it reflects a drift into busyness, lukewarmness, complacency, self-sufficiency. You know, when you talk to Ray and Andrea, they want us to pray. Prayer, when you've got a problem, you pray. You know how important Jesus is. We're going to have a change in how we pray as we build. We're not going to see people saved if we don't pray properly. Now, at the church family meeting, I might well have some discussion because I understand there are practical things. Oh, well, you know, it'd be better if the prayer meetings were 6 o'clock. It'd be better if the evening meeting started at 8 o'clock. Don't bother with a half night of prayer. Well, I can understand the prayer. But in the end, we've got to come together and pray, haven't we? And in the end, we've got to understand this is talking to Jesus. And in the end, when we gather, whether it be in a small group or a big group, we're meeting Jesus, for goodness sake. And we've got to understand that church is not a thing. It's about Jesus. And actually, it's not about whether we like it or do it better this way, that way. We will have some discussion about it. But to be honest with you, in the end, that isn't the core reason why you get 30 people at half night of prayer. It really isn't isn't to do with, well, if only it had been an hour earlier and it trimmed up and we'd had nice coffee and cake. I, I, went, I was preaching last week at um, King's Church High Wycombe and we were talking about prayer and they said they'd had quite a good turnout their prayer week and they called it a prayer and feasting week because every time they'd fed people. So they had breakfast with butties and ch- uh, bacon. But I expect some of you say, oh, that's a good idea, John. I hope you listen to that. And I did listen to it. So in the evening they had coffee and biscuits to start with. In the mornings they had bacon, butter. But there was something in me felt, do we really need to feed people to get them to come and pray? Now maybe I'm wrong. And I'm open to discussion. But I, think, I'm, I don't think it's just winter. I think it's something problem of our culture. I think this is a particularly pleasant place to live. The drift is away from that focus on Jesus and the fire of the Holy Spirit. Point two is going to be about the Holy Spirit. You're not going to get that this morning. You'll get that two weeks' time. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. But these things are things that God has set our course on. We are in this building to see people saved in large numbers. But we're also in here to fill it with praise and worship and prayer. 
We could have had the prayer, a half night of prayer could have been in function room one at Stanmore Lane and it would have been more comfortable. Function room one would have been a pleasanter environment than, than here. Now, to be honest, because the site, now we've got to fill this place with prayer. I'd love to have a special prayer day when there are as many people as a big Sunday morning, even if it was only for an hour or two, because we so understand that this is what it's all about. Now, I'm challenged as well. I do not sit at home being Mr. Holy all the time. I also worry. I'm busy. I like my television. I like my walks. I like bird watching. I was bird watching yesterday. I wasn't praying. That was feathered birds, of course. And I, I, I do understand life. I'm not saying you've got to be nothing else in life. But we've got to understand we're not just like anybody else. We're Christians. This is the church. We love Jesus. And everything about him. And we love praying, we love worshipping, we love hearing his word because that is the course we are set on. We are obsessed with Jesus Christ. You ought to be obsessed with him. You ought to be a nutter to your non-Christian friends. Hallelujah. They ought to tell the difference. Ooh, it's always on about Jesus. Hallelujah. Because that's what it is all about. Now there is encouragement here. Because Jesus doesn't switch down on the church. He, he, he gives her opportunity. He said, come and get gold refined in the fire. Come and take the clothing I offer. Have your eyes cleaned and opened up. Be hungry and thirsty for me. And it's all there and it's wonderful. And God's good to us. He tells us, I want to adjust your course. He's not giving us just a hard time, forget it. He said, I want you to be centred on me. I want you to be intimate with me. There's a challenge in this particular passage. The church hasn't got Jesus on the inside. He's on the outside. I mean, it's, that's what it's all about, verse 19 and 20. He, he, Jesus said, I'm actually outside of your meetings. Please welcome me in. Now, I don't feel the freedom to say that's true. I think we have some great times with the sense of Jesus. Actually, the prayer meetings were good prayer meetings for those who are here. But, but actually, what I'm really saying is there's a sense in which we need Jesus in everything. Get him in through the door. He says, I want, to, I want to fellowship with you. I want to eat with you. I want to share your meals. I want to be part of it. Open the door and let me in. That's what he says. And I would say it for individual lives. Whether, whatever stage of life you're at, let Jesus into the life you're living. Make Jesus the, the center. Let him be the com- one you commune with, the one you eat with. Let Jesus be the center of your worries. You know, cast your cares on the Lord. He cares for you. Bring Jesus into your work thinking. Bring Jesus into your, into your home thinking. Bring Jesus into your study. Let Jesus, Jesus, I need you in here. We need you at the center of everything we do. You know, we get very overloaded in our culture. I do. Overload, overload with sensory stuff. We need to have stuff that amuses us all the time and we've got stuff blasting in our ears. You walk along the street, everybody's got something in their ear, haven't they? They've got white little things or they've got a microphone or, no, what is it called? Uh, mobile phone. And, and you think every, everywhere, you think, why don't we just stop listening to stuff and listen to Jesus? Why don't we, why, everything's overload. You know, we need, we, you know, I've already preached too long. Oh, you can't preach this long. Oh, people can only attend for about six minutes. They're like goldfish. Look, actually, I am going on, but actually, I know that. And he'll moan at me about the DVD or something. But actually, the point is, no, he won't. The actual point is, we need to give time for Jesus. All right? You won't, you need time for prayer. You need time to walk on your own with him, to talk to him as you walk through the countryside. 
or as you drive around in the car. Switch the jolly what name off and talk to Jesus as you're driving along. It's a lot safer anyway. And, you know, because he can make sure you don't have a crash. Don't close your eyes, because you don't have to close your eyes. <laughs> you don't have to close your eyes. But Jesus is the centre of your life. Amen? Bring him in. Welcome him in. This isn't for new Christians. This isn't for non-Christians. This is for Christians. This was written to Christians. I'm standing here. Open the door. I want to come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus said, I am alive. I am here by my spirit. Please let me in to everything you do and let me fellowship with you. Let's be earnest. Let's repent if we need to because that's what the challenge is. Be earnest. Be serious. And what a challenge. It just says, be earnest and repent. Repent means change. Change if you've let it slip, if, the, if you don't bring Jesus, if you know you don't give him much of a thought from one day to the next, let's put it right today. Let's say, God, we're sorry, even as a church, that we can be so easily... Actually, activity. I like the activity, but sometimes I feel we might... It's okay if there's Jesus in the centre of it. But we need to make sure. We all need to do some homework. We need to make sure, is, it a Jesus, is Jesus in the centre of that? That's, that's another day. But, but actually, in the end, it's not about activity. It's about Jesus, isn't it? Loving him, serving him, worshipping him. So let's finish by doing it. That's what we're going to do.